0: Good morning. Good morning indeed. You are joining us for Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Michael Tellercio. I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill, and it's day 395 today. It's an important day in our journey through the book of Mark because it is a turning point for us. We're, at least we're going to see a turning point in the middle of the chapter. And we're going to get some content that's unique to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to get a very clear message from Jesus to his disciples in today's passage of Scripture about who he is, about what he's come to do, and about what it means for us. It's one of the kind of the general frameworks we've been working through the Gospel of Mark with, uh, borrowing from uh, other scholars and others who have kind of sought to frame out the book. Uh, We're looking at who Jesus is, what he's come to do, what it means for us, and, and we're going to see that as we look at today's passage. But before we do, let's ask for the Lord's help as we come to him in prayer. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that you have given us this passage of scripture today, this uh, wonderful look at who Jesus really is. We pray, Lord, as we see him uh, by reading the word, that we would really see him with the eyes of our hearts, Lord, and that we would come before him in submission, in gratitude, in humility, in dependence and for who he is for what he's come to do and that you would gird us up to do the work that is a result of what he has come to do in our lives in our hearts Uh, we pray this for his glory and for our good as your people in jesus name amen all right let's look at mark chapter 8 And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, No sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist There's no amount of signs that Jesus will do uh, that will, in general, get people to believe in who he really is. Because Jesus hasn't come to just heal people physically. He hasn't come just to feed people physically. He hasn't come just to deal with physical needs. He's come to deal with something much more significant, much more uh, foundational for us as human beings. And Jesus' expression here in verse 12, this sighing, uh, is a is a way that mark is helping us see as mark records it that Jesus uh it, that there's a divide between those who are coming to Jesus just for what he can do physically temporally and for those whom Jesus is training to understand who he really is and that's why we get that word there in verses 14 to 21 to the disciples where Jesus is saying do you not yet understand beware of He uses the bread metaphor, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This unbelief that they have of who he really is and this desire, it's masked in a a willingness to be around Jesus, but really only for the things that he can provide that the people want and not necessarily the things that the people need that Jesus knows that they need. So he's training his disciples, he's drawing them out, he's telling them to beware. He's reasoning with them in such a human way, doesn't he? In verses seventeen down, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't don't you guys get it? Like I'm, I'm, he's drawing them out. I'm, I'm telling you to beware of the leaven, of the, of the Pharisees and Herod. But, but I'm really, I'm not meaning just physical bread. I'm meaning something more. And so he's reasoning with them. He's drawing them out he's saying look at what i've look at what i'm able to do um don't you understand who i am yet uh, do you not yet understand verse 21 and then and then we get this miracle that's only recorded in mark's gospel account and it's for a very particular clear reason that mark records it and puts it right where he does here right after jesus has drawn out his disciples and after he has sighed as a result of the Pharisees and the, the just the people in general not really knowing or caring about who he is, the crowds, uh, we get this miracle where Jesus heals a blind man. But he heals him in a way that he hasn't healed anyone else. And in fact, to my recollection, I don't think he heals anybody else in any of the gospel accounts in stages or phases. There's two parts to this healing. Uh, and the reason for that is on purpose. It's not because Jesus is unable to heal the man fully all at once, as if this man's blindness is so uh, deep uh, that he couldn't do it all at once. Perhaps, perhaps it is a picture of the man's the depth of the man's blindness. But it's not because Jesus Jesus is unable to do this. Jesus heals him in two stages, and so at first uh, he spits on the man's eyes, which seems gross to us, but if we understand the if we understand the reference back to Genesis there, where God breathes life into man uh, and gives life to Adam, uh, we understand that the mouth and the the spit and the breath uh, have a spiritual purpose, a significance to them. And so as odd as it may seem, it's to show Jesus's ability to uh, do what the creator God back in Genesis did when he breathed life into Adam. Uh, This is the same God we're seeing. And so that's, you know, just a side comment there. But Jesus does this and then he lays his hands on him and he asks him, do you see anything? And he looked up, the man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again. And when the man opens his eyes, his sight is restored. He sees everything clearly and then he says to him this characteristic phrase that we've seen throughout Mark: "Do not even enter the village, or do not uh, do not continue to uh, be around the crowd just for the sake of making me known as a healer." Uh, he he's putting them away from from the crowds um, in that in that fashion that he's been doing, where Jesus is not trying to attract crowds around himself, and the reason is. The reason that this happens in stages, I think, I think scholars have said this as well. Some, some Bible teachers have mentioned this is that we are seeing Jesus leading his disciples, not the crowds, not, not the Pharisees and the Herodians, but his disciples, his apostles and, and others who are following him. Um, he, in particular, his apostles, he is leading them to see who he really is. So just like this man sees In part at first, and then more fully after a second healing, if we want to say it that way, after a second dose or portion of the healing, they see him, they see clearly. So his disciples are seeing him in part at first. Up until this moment, they're seeing him in part and then they're going to see him more clearly after. And that's why immediately following this healing, we see Jesus and Peter and Peter confess that Jesus is the Christ. Because at that point the disciples have come halfway, so to speak. They understand that Jesus is the Christ. That he's not just Elijah or one of the prophets or he is the he is the Messiah, the one whom Mark opened his gospel talking about. And it's at that point, then then Jesus, right after that, again, to use this phrase immediately, as Mark so often does in his gospel, Jesus immediately then teaches his disciples what it means that he is the Christ, the Messiah. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? It means what we see next. It means that Jesus is going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, that he's going to be killed and after three days rise again. That's what it means, that Jesus is the Christ. It doesn't mean only that he can do these miraculous things, that he can heal people in ways that are not only unbelievably Um, amazing, but just unique and interesting, like healing a man twice and the detail about the guy seeing people that look like trees walking. Like It's just so cool, Uh, if I could put it so basely there. It's so cool that Jesus does the things that he does, but he's not a Messiah that's merely cool or merely powerful merely awesome in these ways. He's a Messiah. He is a Christ. He is the Christ who has come to suffer and die. And until we understand that half of the identity of Jesus, we're missing who he really is. The response from Jesus would otherwise be a sigh and stay away from the crowd, man who I just healed, because they don't get it and they don't want to get it. That would be the implication. That would be the result if people don't see who Jesus really is. And so that's why he immediately begins to teach his disciples who he really is. And Peter doesn't like that. He rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter. Uh, So let it be known that Jesus isn't just a gentle teacher of good philosophy. Uh, He will rebuke his people in love to help them, to Clarify and correct them about who he is for their good. So, if you hear a hard word from Jesus, from the scriptures, know that it may be very well for your good. Uh, it could be a way that Jesus is correcting your thinking, where you um, need to be a little bit more aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, uh, the tendency to either distrust Jesus. Or to view him as a Christ who has only come to fill temporary needs uh, and not the the more significant one of dealing with our sin, with the consequences of our sin, with the the sin itself. That's the Messiah. That's the Christ that Jesus is. And so he doesn't leave his disciples in the dark. And at this turning point, he's going to begin for the rest of the book uh, to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, and after three days rise. This is what he's going to teach them plainly, as verse 32 says. Uh, And, you know, as Peter needs to be corrected by Jesus, we need to be corrected by him as well. So let uh, let it be an encouragement to you that God loves you enough to give you this word in Mark and to teach you what it means to follow him. That's, that's where we'll end today. Verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then if you're, if you're going to me- memorize a verse in the next week or so, or try to, and you haven't picked one out, if this happens to be you, I suggest verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus is just counseling his disciples to realize there's nothing that we can give in exchange for our souls. But the one thing that we ought to be doing is following the one who can actually save our souls. And that will require us to give up our lives. There's no easy believism here. Following Jesus costs everything. Salvation is free to us because it costs Jesus everything. But it will cost our lives it's like getting married. My wife tells me this sometimes and reminds me uh, that I, what I paid for her was nothing financially. I didn't give her parents a dowry or anything, but I gave her my life. It cost my life to marry her, and I'm so thankful that it did. It cost her life to marry me too, and it cost everything to follow Jesus. Whereas it's free. It's a free gift to us because it cost him everything. It, it will cost us our very lives. But Jesus didn't stay dead. As verse 31 reminds us, he would rise again. And he did, in fact, rise again. And because of that, we can be assured that as we follow him, we're not following him to death as much as we're following him through death. Because Jesus is is victorious over death. He is that kind of Christ. He's the Christ who cares so much about people that he would provide what they really need, which is life eternal, because otherwise everything is futile. Without a solution to death, all of the healings, all of the feeding, all of the teaching, everything would be worthless because it would all end in death. But Jesus is the kind of Christ is the only Christ who can actually provide a solution to the problem of death. And that's what he's getting the disciples to see at this turning point in Mark's gospel. That's what will help us see uh, that he he not only has a plan in mind, but he's going to follow through on that plan to save people from death, from sin, and from corruption. Let's thank him for that now in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to live life eternally. Uh, It is through death, through the death of your son, in fact. And as we follow him, Lord, we experience the the many deaths uh, throughout our lives of of the cross, of having to put to death certain things. Would you help us to do that, Lord? Uh, To put to death... If nothing else, the false idea of who the Christ is, that we would be corrected by him like Peter, as is needed, and that we would rejoice even when we hear that correction, because we know it's your love for us. You're not leaving us like the crowd, like the Pharisees and the Herodians. You're not sighing within your spirit because of unavoidable unbelief, but you are training and teaching us. You're growing us in faith. You're bringing us home to yourself, O Lord, through your Son. Uh, through His Spirit living in us now. We thank you so much for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let's go out into this day ready to serve the Lord and ready to be refreshed by our Savior. As you experience life, as you encounter things that are challenging, know that it may be God teaching you to depend on the Christ of Mark 8 just a bit more today. Go well.